chapter 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6 and verse 2. And we are going to continue our study of bearing one another's burdens. Uh, we're actually going to learn how to minister to other people in a way that might uh, actually help them to a greater degree than you might have been able to before. Now, before we begin, as is our custom, it's uh, time for silent prayer. And with this, we go in front of the throne of grace, and we just present ourselves to the Lord to be taught of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is this person here is just supposed to be the mouthpiece, like a voice crying in the wilderness. That's all we're ever supposed to be. So let's pray that that's the way it is this morning, and that what you hear will be the words of the Lord, and that the Holy Spirit will indeed help you understand them, remember, and and be able to wisely use uh, this this information as it comes about. Because as I mentioned before last week, uh, this has uh, helped so many people throughout the, I, I heard it first in 1986, I guess it was, so 36 years ago, long time ago. And as soon as I heard it, I went, boy, that puts a lot of stuff together. So if, um, if you would, just kind of think about it, take it home, work with it, there is... There is the main handout that you have. There is also an additional handout of two pages that they didn't get stuck together with staples back there. Does you not have that? It's a, it's got a picture on the front. You not have that? If you don't have it, hold your hand up, and we'll try to get you one because it'll be kind of hard to three, four, five, six, ten, twelve. Just bring the stack, and we'll try to get them. Uh, uh, get them scattered out. There's two pages to it. I meant to ask the printer to staple them, and if I did, he didn't. And if I didn't, it's my fault. But in any event, this has uh, got some charts that might help understand the actual narrative a little bit better, because uh, I like some things that are visual from time to time. They kind of help me uh, understand and clarify some things as as we go. And um, All right. I know. It's, it's, I thought, well, do I staple them to the back? And then I thought, no, people leave them home <laughs> next week because we might not get through it this week. So um, anyway. All right. There we go. He's got them here. All right. That's a good way to break up the flow of class. Okay, let's just take a minute for prayer, present ourselves in front of the throne of grace, and again, ask that the Lord be our teacher. Let us pray. Father, we're so amazed that you would have anything to do with us. Father, we so thank you for the fact that we are your kids now and you care so very much about us. Thank you that you have given us all a ministry. You've given us gifts to function within the ministry. You've given us a ministry. And Father, you have instructed us to do it and you'd work it all out for good. Father, that's comforting to us because we don't have to we don't have to worry about the outcome. We can be concerned about it, but we can't control it. 
So, Father, let us indeed learn what this is and how it all fits into your word. And, Father, that we may be able to use it to help others. We pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Galatians 6, now this, this is a verse. And when you start looking at principles of one another. There they come. When you start looking at principles of one another, you, you find out that there are 26 positive principles of one another that build relationships, and there's 26 that tear them down. Interesting, interesting uh, way the Lord laid it out. They're scattered throughout the New Testament, and you find them, uh, things like murdering one another, obviously is not a... <laughs> not one of the good things that builds relationships but you find out that there are some very good ones now the positive ones all flow around loving one another and that's what the Lord taught us that we should love one another even as he has loved us so that is kind of your catch all but out of that flow various things like encouraging one another building up one another we find that uh, accepting one another is part of that. So as we look at those one another principles and commands in places, as we look at those, we find out what it really means to love one another. Now, sometimes it's real easy when we become a Christian, we want to hide out. We want to we we go into our cave and come out and sing do Lord occasionally and do things like that. And that's not the way he has designed us. He told us to go and make disciples of all the nations. So that means that we're, Christianity is to be active. It's not to be a, a passive type of thing. A disciple is a student. And we have run into many places overseas. Africa, India, Asia. We've run into many places overseas where, the, where people went in and evangelized and then left. And it's kind of like leaving a, a baby on the doorstep. I mean, they're born again. They don't know up from down. And we have been following along in that, seeking to make disciples. A disciple is a student that wants to learn in order to do. Now, that's simply put. Of course, there's the doctrine of discipleship, and I can give you 100 points if you want that. But if, that's basically in a nutshell. They should be a student. The church should be the classroom of Christianity which quite frequently it is not. There's not a lot of instruction given because people would rather be entertained. Just like the, the word says in the, in the last days, people want their ears tickled instead of wanting to get good, solid information by which they can learn and they can grow and they can live this life in an, in an honorable way. And so we are looking and we've carved one out called Bearing One Another's Burdens. Now, where did it come from? Well, Galatians 6.1, it says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual. So it is dealing with a person who has sinned. Caught in a trespass. You who are spiritual. Now if you're going to help, that's the first qualification. Because there's a whole lot of help out there that's anything but spiritual. And spirituality starts with belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you're going to, if you're going to try to help somebody, be sure they're a believer. If they're not a believer, the rest of this won't matter to them. It'll just be a band-aid, maybe at best. That's what it's just I think about psychology. 
People take the word psychology and go, oh, that's an evil term. No, I beg to differ with you. It's put from two words from the Greek, suke and logos. Suke means soul, logos means word. It is a word about the soul. Now, if I want to find a word about the soul, where else would I go but to the Bible? People look at this and some of the charts and stuff and say that's all psychology. Now, this all grows out of what the Scripture has to say, and it's, it's verifiable. It's not hard to do. And if you know anything about the fall of Adam in Genesis 2 and 3, it's pretty easy to figure this out. And as you track it through the entire Bible, you find out this is common to who we are as human beings. It is common to our fallen nature. It is common to our godly nature, what it should be, because it's been revealed. And it says, you who are spiritual. Okay, so first of all, if you're going to help somebody, you need to be a believer. And if they're not a believer, they need to hear the gospel. Okay, that's what needs to happen. Then it says, restore such a one in a spirit of selflessness. Okay, when, when you're seeking to help someone, it's not about you. And that's what people often make it. Well, I tried to help them. They just didn't listen to me. Well, let them listen to the Lord. If they're going to fight with somebody, let them fight with the Lord because they are going to lose eventually. Let them fight with the Lord. So in a spirit of selflessness, so you're not trying to get another... Uh, you're not a notch on your pistol, a scalp on your wall. All those things are terribly out of place in today's culture. But in any event, you're not you're not trying to to gain that for a prize for you. A spirit of selflessness. You could care less about what happens to you because you're concerned about them and truly about them. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, "Well, you know, I love you." And then you know what follows is not <laughs> what you consider a display of love. Well, each one looking to yourself. That's verse 1, very clear. Look to yourself first. Somebody's in trouble, you're going to help them out. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too may be tempted. Now, maybe not to do the same trespass that they were caught in. But aren't there some other trespasses that we could be caught in? Like pride? You know, and, and we leave the meeting and it seems like all is well and you just kind of swell up from being able to help them and all that. Well, is that really what it's talking about? I don't think so. Now verse 2 is a, is a command. There, this is the 17th command actually found in the book of Galatians. they got quite a few there. It says bear... One another's burdens. Bestadzo means that you support it as a burden. You pick it up. You put it on your back. Bear one another's burdens. Baros means a weight. So it is not just a spiritual weight it's talking about. When it says burdens, it expands the meaning. Okay? It's not just about that. It's Some people carrying loads around and weights around of different kinds. And it's not just necessarily from a trespass. But bear one another's burdens. But look at his last phrase. Thus fulfill. Fill it up. What? The law of the Messiah. The law of the Christ. Now when you start looking at the word law, namas, and you track it through the New Testament, there's only about a dozen things that are called a law. 
There is the law of sin and death. There is the law of Christ. So they're, they're very specific. So when it adds the law of the Christ, it's telling you pay attention to it. Pay attention. Because what has he been talking about through the whole book of Galatians? Laws. I just got We just got that up on the um, website. And you'll find the book of Galatians, the word law is used, I don't remember, 40, 50 times. And so many times they try to limit that, the translators, to only talking about the Mosaic law. I beg to differ with them. Because there is the word law, and there's the word, and there are two words, the law. Now, when the law is there, frequently it's talking about the Mosaic law. But most of those phrases are saying, any law, not just the Mosaic. So if no law was going to save you whatsoever, Mosaic law isn't going to save you either. So what Paul's argument is, is that any law you want to make up, you want to make up the, uh, the law of New Year's resolutions. Okay? And any law you want to make up is not going to save you if you keep them. Okay? You can make your own set. But even if you kept all those, have you ever noticed how when we make laws, the, the bar keeps getting lower and lower and lower and lower? Because we, it's a little too high for us, we can't get over it, so we bring it down just another notch. Well, it says, fulfill the law of Christ, the law of the Messiah. Now, let's look at that. We started to, the weight that others carry can include physical, financial, emotional, or spiritual but primarily, these verses are looking at spiritual problems. Now, to help spare someone else's burdens requires a personal involvement with them. Uh, a lot of times, we just want time to ourselves, especially during football season. We, we just want to carve out a little bit of time there. But th- this is it's going to require personal involvement with other people. And... Our sin nature often doesn't want to. But what is this? A command? Is this supposed to be an optional part of the Christian life? Not when it's put in the form of a command. The law of the Christ. Bear one another's burdens is a command. So it's not supposed to be optional. It's supposed to be something that we are available to do as it presents itself. Some people are called to this as part of their gifting. Part of their gifting might be mercy. Gifting might be helps. Gifting might be encouragement. But all of those gifts can function with this, under this law. We're all called to do it, just some can do it better. And that's fine. That's fine that other people can do it better than we can. What we are most interested in is how do we help a person that's in trouble. Now it may involve suffering in their place. Oh, isn't that exciting? You enter into somebody else's life, you get to suffer with them. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we just don't notice the aches and pains we've got till we get out of bed in the morning? And yet the body is still suffering? Okay? One part of the body suffers. The body in the church oftentimes doesn't know it's really suffering because it's it's got so many anesthetics that have gone out there to dull our pain and our antidotes of pain we really don't know it does that do the body any good the body needs to heal 
and the healing is to be spiritual. To help with spiritual problems, we need to learn to evaluate what are the proper goals. Evaluate what are the proper goals. And from there, we went to a we went to that chart that you saw last week. That chart that's right on the front there that's got goals on one side of it, significance and security on the other side of it. It's got strategy, motivation, behavior. And if you find that, then if I can find it on this um, overhead again, we'll be in good shape. But if you can find that, um, let's see. Ah, diggity dog. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you the fill in the blanks here. Because this is something, when you just stop and think about it, makes all the sense in the world. Where did it come from? How was it developed? Dr. Larry Crabb, back in the 80s, developed this model, counseling model, if you will. He got criticized a lot because he quoted uh, Young and some of the other uh, psychologists that were out there of his day and didn't quote enough scripture. But I, he assumed you knew the scripture before he started before he started. Uh, uh, teaching this. And if you go to Genesis 2 and 3 in the fall of Adam and just follow it along, this all makes sense. Because we're all, as an Adam, all die. We are have the sin of Adam imputed to us. With that, we have a sin nature. A sin nature that's got a lot of similarities to Adam. So it is not a stretch at all to realize that we've got some of the same problems Adam did. Now, <clears throat> The highest goals in, in life for any individual are to fulfill the two greatest commandments. Now, as we look at this, this chart, now goals are established, point A under here, goals are established in life seeking to gain significance or security. Two things Adam lost at the fall. Who was Adam at the fall? He was the ruler of the world, right? He was the big dog. Was he afraid of anything? No. But what happened when he fell? What happened when he fell was he lost his significance. And his security was in question. How do we know that? Because he said, I'm afraid. Why would you hide yourself, Adam? Well, I was afraid. Okay. Things changed at, at the fall of Adam dramatically. So he, he uh, goals are established trying to get those back. So whenever you look at what do people really want out of this life, quite frequently, secular answers especially, has something to do with feeling important or feeling secure. Men tend more toward feeling important. I guess I can still use men and women in this congregation. Because that's the way God made us, male and female, he created them. So, I guess uh, I, I'm going to use it, but anyway, we may get canceled. We'll figure out another way to do it. Anyway, uh, and the way we work, the way the sin nature works is, I want these back. Okay, I want them back. So we spend a quest, men often... Uh, look for some way to feel good about themselves, and women all often look for a way to be secure. All those those interconnect with each other, but sometimes we uh, we <laughs> we make mistakes. Now, if something is truly a goal, then there is a motivation 
to reach the goal. If it's really a goal in your life, if you just say, oh, I'd like to, and it's not a goal, if you really have a goal, I need to get my yard mowed by 10 o'clock this morning, and that becomes a goal, that's, there's a motivation to get out there and get it done. And so <clears throat> Adam, see, wanted to cover up his nakedness, didn't he? He fell. He lost things. Things changed, and he says, we were naked. So Adam wanted to cover up his nakedness. So what did he do? He developed a strategy. Aha! They sewed together these fig leaves. I've seen some artist renderings of those, and they're quite elaborate in different places of the fig leaves that are there. kind of depends on who does them. Uh, some, of the, some people just have a scant fig leaves. They're covering various parts because some people have been led to believe that sex was the first sin of Adam. And I'm thinking, have you read the first chapter of the book? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. (laughs) They're fulfilling God's command. Sex was not the first sin. Okay. Anyway, they develop a strategy. They're going to make these fig leaves. They cover them up all the way to fig leaves that cover people like Amish ladies. So there's, there's all kinds of artist renderings. Now, the motivation leads to a strategy, this point C, of how to reach the goal with the correct behavior being required. Now, you can have all the plans in the world, but if they're not put into operation, they're useless. But real goals, if you've got, you want to do something, you're going to clean out your garage. Aha, uh-huh. I need to clean it out because I can't walk through it anymore. Strategy, when am I going to do it? Okay, am I going to get help? Am I going to call, call in those people that, that owe me? Am I going to try to get them to help? What is my strategy? But if I plan it to do it this next coming Saturday, September 3rd on Labor Day, and I plan to do it and don't do it, the garage is still a mess. That's the way it works. These things all, all flow. Now, did Adam follow through with the fig leaves? We know he did. So he was motivated to cover up his nakedness. He developed a strategy and he behaved accordingly. Now, human goals in point D are reached only lead to a temporary happiness. Now, you can tell who did this chart. The smiley face on there, it was George who did this chart for me. But it leads to a temporary happiness. I got the garage cleaned. Why did I want to do that? Well, significance. Okay, I've got it cleaned. I've done all things decently and in order. On and on. We've got it done, but we're only temporarily happy. Now, we are starting football season. It's coming up. People are starting to get excited. You know what all of the teams say? I want to win the championship. See, they follow this. This is my goal. I want to win the championship because that's going to make me happy. I want to win the ring. I want to win the Super Bowl. I want to win the the national championship. I want to win them because I'm going to get a ring. I'm going to get special. I'm going to get my significance back. And if I'm good enough, I'm going to get signed to a big contract and get my security to go along with it. Because people think security comes in money, which it really doesn't. 
and significance. Does that really come in money? People think it does, but not necessarily. But it's just a temporary happiness whenever you do it. And whenever it doesn't satisfy for a long time, because the Holy Spirit brings us joy that lasts, right? Through the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all those, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a temporary happiness sets in. And then a big emptiness sets in. What am I going to do now? And then we redefine our goals. Now, where does this apply? Marriage relationship. Does this apply in a marriage relationship? Oh, how about that wonderful song, I'm going to make you love me. Remember that? That one went to number one in the charts. And I'm going to make you love me. Oh, yes, I will. Yes, I will. And what? Ha- how do you do that? What does a wife do to make her husband love her? Well, she fixes favorite food. She'll do all kinds of stuff to do this. And what happens whenever she sets it out on the table and goes, what is this mess? The goal gets blocked, right? <laughs> but what happens? He says, honey, this is the best stuff I've ever eaten in my life. You treat me like a god, offering me burnt offerings and everything else that comes along with it. But, but he, he, and she goes, yay, he loves me. How long does that last? Maybe the evening. Okay, but tomorrow's a new day, right? So what happens? The emptiness sets in. Is she going to love me anymore? Is she going to love me again? And how, how about... The uh, wife making the husband. And how about the husband making the wife love him? He can't do it either. He can't do it either. And Satan tries to make us think that we can, we can build on these things. And that we can guarantee the outcomes of somebody else. Now, do you think maybe that could be an underlying factor in the anger that is displayed all over the world right now? Now, what happens when a goal is blocked? One of three things or all three things in varying degrees. First thing, anger. Yeah. What happens when uh, (laughs) Terry's an umpire? He faces people that have their goals blocked frequently out on the field. Yeah. And they get so, what happens? They get mad. They get mad. Bad call. Wrong call. Ump, don't don't you have glasses? I mean, all those things that that comes out there is a wrong call. Anger, fear. What's going to happen? We didn't get that call. Are we going to win the game? Are we going to lose the game? What are we going to do? And guilt. Now, what happens when your goal is blocked in a marriage of different things? Anger. Fear, will they ever love me? Guilt, I'm just not any good. I'm no good. See, what happens when this goes unchecked? These things, if left alone, will turn into depression. That's where they come from. Depressed people are mad at everything. I could use a more vernacular term, but I won't this morning. They're upset with everybody, everything, everywhere. 
And then they're afraid of things. And then they finally look in the mirror, I'm just a lousy slob anyway. Well, what good is that going to do? Now, E, yeah, that's E. Blocked goals lead to anger, guilt, anxiety, or a combination. Now, did this, was this displayed by Adam in the garden? Adam, did you eat of that tree? Why are you hiding? Well, I, I was afraid. So I hid myself. And that woman that you gave me, do you think our sin nature may pass the buck and look for other people to blame for our bad decisions? It's inherently part of our fallen nature. And it's inherently part of what we're supposed to fight. And that woman you gave, he blamed her, and he blamed the Almighty in a matter of a few words that you gave me, she gave me from the tree. And then he says, and I ate. One word in the Hebrew. Yeah, I ate. So there was a guilt that set in on him. A fear because he hit himself. And you could tell from his tone he wasn't happy about the situation. Now, <clears throat> block goals lead to these things. Now, as believers, point F, we all possess, we already possess all the significance and security we should ever need. Now, for those who don't believe in the security of the believer, they're not going to be able to grab hold of this. If they think if you look at somebody wrong, you can go to hell, then they've got they've got a, a issues that's going to take more overcoming. They're going to need to know that they are safe and secure in the hand of the Almighty, and there's no power on heaven, in heaven on earth or under the earth that can take them out of the hand of God. They need to know the security that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> we possess all the significance and security we'll ever need. So when you think about that, what, what is that? You know, God loves me. And he loves you. He loves me. He loves me so much he adopted me into his family. He loves me so much he made me a priest. He loves me so much that he guaranteed that my, my security would be forever taken care of. I am important in the eyes of God. That's what the Bible says. That second book of foundation gives you a whole lot of information on why you're important to God in it. Why you mean everything to it. And security. David in Psalm 56 says, What's man able to do to me? Well, he can kill me. So, Paul said, in a prison, some of these people want to kill me. I don't care. He said, I, I really don't care. He said, if they kill me, I go home to be with the Lord. Okay? And if they leave me here, it's for your sake. See, they had no power over him. The fear of death, no, no fear of death found in Paul. And so, he had... All the love of the Lord, and he knew it, and he was secure in that. Now, when we have that, we can set these goals where they need to be. 
These goals need to be love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the greatest commandment, and love our neighbors ourselves. Number two, can I make my wife love me? No. Can I love her? Yes. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay? Who's inside of me at the moment I believed in Christ? The Holy Spirit. Can I love my wife? Yes. So how do I go about doing that? I develop a strategy and try to try to show her from time to time. We were talking to some pastors in <clears throat> India one time. We said, if you want to change your country, go home, tell your wife you love them. And after you've convinced them <laughs> That you didn't go to the bar <laughs> instead, instead of the pastor's conference. If you've done that, I said, make it a practice. Oh, we don't do that in India. I said, do you think maybe you need to start? Well, some of them have. And then you show them. We found out in India through some of the things that we have done in, in Africa that men frequently beat their wives, even the pastors. We think, have, have we gotten past this in all the history of the world? And the answer to that is no. Some still think it's acceptable practice. Some still think that the women are called to do certain tasks of a slave and not to be held in high honor, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Some people have the totally wrong idea. They believe it's a master-slave relationship because they read a passage that says that says husbands love your wife, but wives submit yourself to your own husbands. They got the wives submit, and they missed the other one that went there. So <clears throat> here is the what what do you do? You develop a strategy. You behave accordingly. And this helps build your love for the Lord and your love for one another. Now, can we have other goals and desires and things like that about, about uh, winning football games or getting a degree or being the best at what we do? Absolutely. But those have to take a back seat to loving the Lord and loving other people. They have to. Because... Those are not wrong in and of themselves. It's the difference between kakos, which is inherently evil, and paneros, which means becomes evil. Anything between you and God is an idol. So if we put a vocation in front of us and God, it becomes an idol. Therefore, it becomes evil. The vocation itself may not be evil. But if we put it between us and God, it has become evil. That's what it is. And we, we lose sight of that fact. But we want to develop goals that are designed to, uh, to love others, love God, and love others. Now, do I want somebody to love me back if I love them? Well, yeah. It's definitely part of who we are. Because we want a relationship. Okay? We are made for relationship. We are made for a relationship with the Almighty. Do we realize that? We're made for that. We're made to honor Him, love Him, to be a part of His family. Family is all about relationship, isn't it? Okay? We are made for that relationship. 
So we make goals that is going to help augment and and bless that. These sub goals or subcategories, if you call them. Now, if we have this goal to love God and to love to love one another, and the thing gets blocked, where does righteous indignation come from? Because there is such a thing as righteous indignation, like when the Lord cleaned out the temple. This shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. You've made it a den of thieves. What have they done? They've disregarded and they have uh, uh, defamed, really, the Lord God. And he got angry, legitimate anger. What about a legitimate fear? Now, that's a concern. As someone that you know and love and have a lot of, lot of love for and you care a whole lot about it, you're concerned about what they're getting ready to do, but it can be a righteous fear that is there. <clears throat> and guilt, you know, we need to recognize our guilt readily. When we mess up, we need to be able to own up to it. We need to stop learning from the politicians how to pass the buck. That one Was Adam the first politician running for office? That woman that you gave me, she gave me from the tree. Okay. And then in, he slips in there, and I ate. You know, he whispers that, that last part. Well, <clears throat> we need to have the right type of goals, but we have to remember always that we're important to God and we're secure in his hands. That lets us live this life uh, is in full measure, if you will. Now, we also need to understand our fallen structure. This is point six. And how it thinks and works. <clears throat> now, if we start down here on the bottom, I guess that arrow is there. Yay. I'm glad I can use that as a pointer. Right here at the foundation. The fallen structure inherently doubts God. Okay? This fallen structure. What, what happened to Eve? Oh, God's not good. Isn't that the, exactly the way that Satan went after her? Challenging the goodness of God? Because he knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And he's withholding something from you. And this fallen structure starts with doubting God. What is the battle we have going on now? The big battle that's going on. And is it between the Republicans and the Democrats? Is it between the Sunnis and the Shiites? Is it between, who's it between? Where's the big battle? Is between God and Satan. That's where the big battle is right now. And it's, it's between people who reject God and people who believe in God. Now some people say they believe in God, but their fruit shows something a little different. Functionally, they're, they're not doing that. But doubting God, <clears throat> he's given us his precious and magnificent promises that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. How often do we claim a promise? How often do we even think about a promise? How often whenever we are facing various trials and difficulties do we even think about a promise of God? Sometimes all we need is, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That may be all we, all we need to know that he is with us to know he cares, to know that he's not going to lose us somewhere, to know that our prayers are indeed going beyond the ceiling. 
They're not just bouncing off the walls. Why do we know that? Because his word says it. David said, where can I go to hide from your presence? I go to the highest mountain, you're there. I go to the lowest part of the earth, Dead Sea, you're there. No matter wherever I go, you're there. He is omnipresent. He is omnipresent and he is everywhere at the same time and the same intensity. So he didn't lose you. No matter where you go. That means that you're just a thought away from connecting back to him. Now, <clears throat> it defines God. Now, this, this defines our attitude about him, if you doubt him. And it's our deepest story. It's what's really running the show on the inside. It's what's really hidden away is do we doubt God? And what happens then? We become self-serving. Matthew 14, 31. <clears throat> o ye of little faith, why do you doubt? It's a question the Lord asked. <clears throat> he answered it too. Little faith. Doubting God. You're not really trusting Him. Why did you doubt? How about James 1, 6? 1, 5. He who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and let him ask without doubting. That word pops up again. Doubting God is right at the, the deepest end. Now we know if we ask in accordance with his will, we were talking about that at the break, we need to ask humbly from an inferior to a superior, the word I-T-O, we need to ask about his will. Not my will, but your will be done. That's a, one of the biggest tests Jesus faced. In John 17, it's recorded. Not my will, but your will be done. It's, it's sometimes difficult, but do we trust him enough to do things, even when we don't particularly want to? I still think about Lazarus. <clears throat> and he... Uh, goes to raise Lazarus. Now he waited three days. You know he could have raised him. He could have not let him die. For one thing. And then without ever going to see Lazarus. He could have raised him from the dead. No problem. But instead he waits. Three days. <clears throat> okay. So he waits three days. He goes to see Lazarus. Here comes Mary and Martha. Lord if you've just been here. Have you ever had a conversation with the Lord like that? Lord, I'm not happy with you because you didn't do things the way I wanted, right? Lazarus, our brother, is dead. Don't you understand? And he challenges them. I'll just raise him. Well, I know he's going to be raised. He's, she starts quoting theology. See? Think about it. I know he'll be raised. Everybody will be raised at the end of the age. Da, 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 but we need our brother now. He has rolled the stone away. And you all know that famous old English word. By this time he stinketh. Indeed he doeth. Stink. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> so they got the stone rolled away. Okay. See, oftentimes the Lord asks us to do something that is not pleasant. 
in order to bring us what we want. Have we ever thought about that? To go bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes he asks us to do that which stinks in order to bring about what, what he wants. And it'll be to his glory. And so what did he say? Lazarus, come forth. Oh, by the way, he, after she quoted doctrine to him, then he quoted some to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Where's your faith? Do you believe that? If I say I'm going to raise him, I'm going to raise him. Do you believe that? Is the quest. And right here at the bottom of this structure, we doubt whether God can do something. It's our attitude about him. Oh, go back. And that's the deepest story what's running the show under the surface. Self-serving. I want him back. I want him back. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes this guy out of the tomb, probably going, I was really in a good place. (laughs) You know, maybe I was really getting into myself. (laughs) Where was he? In paradise is where he was. We get Luke 16 that tells us about, about that. We get a picture of what he was, but Lazarus was in a really good place. And he's called back into this world to die again. Jesus wept over this, by the way. Yeah, he was sad to lose his friend, but he went there to raise him. He knew what he was going to do before he ever went. He knew what he was going to do. But I think part of it had to do with the fact Lazarus was going to have to face this again. Yeah, he's going to have to die a second time. Now, the fallen structure. Jude 1.22. How does this fit into our verse? Have mercy on those who are doubting. Interesting passage, isn't it? Have mercy on those who are doubting. So when people doubt God, we need to approach them with with an attitude of mercy, not a condescending attitude of I'm better than you are, but realizing that God's mercy is sufficient for them. Now B point is doubting God has problems and then it leads to inconsistencies because it realizes it needs other people. We are made for relationships. But other people can't fully satisfy, so they end up hating other people, and it develops a self-hate. See, right here on this first floor is, I doubt God, but I need you. I need somebody that can be here with me. Somebody can help me, but you don't do everything I want you to do, so I hate you. Okay? It's oftentimes the way it works, right? If you want somebody for a relationship, but you want them to do certain things. Sometimes that happens in at weddings. She's sitting there, boy, he's going to really be secure. He's going to be this or that. He's gonna, we're going to have all the security we need. And he's going, boy, she's so cool. I'm really significant. I'm the cool guy here. This got the coolest girl that there is there. And, and then... I, I need you. I need somebody else to compliment and to complete me. But you don't do it the way I want it done, so I hate you. And probably it's because I'm no good. So I hate me. And those who have helped people counseling, a lot of times know this is exactly the way the pattern goes. They get upset with God, and then it moves from there. But see, the... <clears throat> 
um, survival, then is how am I going to survive in this world? <clears throat> and here's how I'm going to do it. So when we let the fallen nature take over, we figure out a way to cope with life at best. How to cope? Some people cope by being mean and pushing everybody away. Some people cope by being nice so nobody will say anything bad about them. And if anybody says anything bad about them, they wilt. Did anybody say anything bad about the Lord? A lot, right? I'll survive. They end up living this time in the body in a survival mode. And that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to really live no matter where we find ourselves at any point in history. Has the world gotten bad? Yes. Is it going to be worse? Yes. Second Timothy 3. It is going to go from bad to worse. People are going to be hating one another because of lawlessness. Most people's love has grown cold. We're in the beginning of birth pangs about that. We're, again, I've used the hitchhiker analogy multiple times. We used to, somebody was uh, on the side of a road needing a ride. They didn't usually have to stay there very long. If they're in a uniform, they didn't have to stay there hardly at all. But it's not that way anymore. Because lawlessness has increased. This is how I'm going to survive. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to avoid conflict. I'm never going to state my opinion. I'm never going to do all these things. And we withdraw into a shell. Or we become a brash bully. Have you ever noticed how bullies stop when they're confronted? You're going to have to confront them eventually. How are we going to survive? Now... A person's attitude about God with the realization that other people can't satisfy leads to searching for an antidote against the pain. When they don't feel good at all, whenever things aren't going right, and this starts at an early age anymore. They start looking for an antidote. And guess what? Devil got a bunch of them, right? He has got a bunch of antidotes for pain. Drugs, alcohol, addictions of different kinds. They're antidotes for for pain. Uh, Oftentimes the antidote for pain is hiding from our problems. And it may not involve drugs or alcohol. Some people become news junkies. That's all they do is they watch the news Uh, All the time and all that waiting for the latest breaking news that some gorilla in nowhere gave birth to a uh, another gorilla. And I mean that's that's about all it is and that's breaking news in their life and it's kind of gone. We used to call that shallow didn't we? It certainly wasn't selfless because it's all about how I feel. But see, Christianity is we should feel just fine. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. No matter where we are, what time of history we are, where we are, we should be okay. We should be the models. Lord called us to be a light shining in the darkness. 
How are you going to do that? If you're falling apart. Now if you're falling apart. As a Christian. Every day is a new beginning. Every day. Actually every moment. Is a new beginning. And usually it just involves. Going. Am I doubting God or am I trusting him? What am I doing? Because it. It boils. It revolves around that. And this. <clears throat> is the approach to relationships that we take. So we're going to hold people at arm's length instead of letting them in. Because maybe we've been hurt in the past. We're afraid to let anybody in. There's all kinds of things. But that's often how we approach the relationships out of our fallen nature. And you know something? No relationship on this earth is going to be perfect. It is just not going to be. I'm one of the most perfect husbands ever. You can just ask Helen if I have any flaws. And give her enough time to answer. (laughs) We're all flawed. Okay? There was only one perfect marriage in the garden. What happened to it? (laughs) It got messed up. All the rest of the marriages are imperfect people. Two imperfect people. One of them is not perfect. Neither is the other one perfect. Two imperfect people trying to develop a relationship. And the Lord designed that relationship to be the closest relationship on earth. Between the husband and the wife. With two imperfect people going into it. Now, if we set out to help others... Because our goals are right. Okay? We might have some bumps along the way. But overall, that should be our life story. Now, <clears throat> when the deepest story of our life is doubting God, then the inside story, or our inner story, and the personal methodology developed to cope is what becomes our present story what really comes out is this false bravado is that what comes out this uh, I can handle anything is that which comes out or I'm afraid of everything I'm afraid of my shadow and everything that's not what he's called us to do these are the different coping mechanisms what do we use to get along in this life and those who doubt God see how this flows on the line this bottom line Doubting God, our attitude toward people, which is really the underlying problem, the biggest problem to deal with, and we become self-serving. Even if our coping mechanisms might look good on the surface. Now, the psychologist will tell you, do the right thing to develop the right attitude. That's what we need to do in a lot of ways. That helps get through it. Start doing the right thing. And that can lead to the right attitude. It's not going to be an instant quick fix of I'm going to fix my attitude because the attitude doesn't want to stay there. We have to get in a habit of doing something. Self-serving then becomes self-protective. Self-protective. Why will people not admit that they made a mistake? Especially people in high offices. But what about people, this, this happens all over the world now. 
we're going to go into protect mode. And to do that, we become self-centered. How are we going to go out and make other make disciples? There's a risk involved. Anywhere, anytime. Are we afraid to talk to our neighbor and bring up the Lord to our neighbor because they might think we're a religious kook? Are we afraid to wear a Christian t-shirt because they might think we're a religious nut? What, what are we afraid of? Well, the way I read the Bible, what is man able to do to me? He can kill me. And that's not so bad. It's really not. If we die as a martyr for the cause of Christ, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. If we decide, though, we're going to uh, hide away and not talk to anybody about the Lord. Hmm. You know, we have an interesting test. We always have tests with the prince of the power of the air. And hopefully, maybe we've got the live streaming done and taken care of. We're all praying about that this morning. We had a little bit of, a little bit of help with uh, doing that. But you may have seen that uh, Metaverse is getting ready to buy Vimeo. Uh, Vimeo is what we put all of our Bible classes on. And if Metaverse starts trolling through our Bible classes, they might find something offensive and might start pulling it down. Now, that would seem far-fetched not too long ago. But it's not far-fetched now. We may have to look for other ways to communicate. And I hope it's not by text message. But we may need to figure out other ways to get the word out to other people. But that's something we can pray about. And if it happens, guess what? The world didn't end. Because there's already messages out there that have touched people's lives. And we can let the Lord work with it. We do what is right and we let the Lord work it out. That's our calling. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for this day, for your love and mercy and grace, for all your blessings and all your tests. We thank you for our so great salvation. We thank you for the grace that was displayed to us for our Lord who took our place on a cross. And Father, we thank you just for the fact that we have a security in knowing that uh, it's, it's all about you. Your promises are what makes the difference. And Father, we thank you that even if we are faithless, you remain faithful. Father, to let us always give you the glory in all things, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.